I'm Matthew George, and this is Digging into Deutsch, the podcast where we'll be unearthing the personal stories of the people right here at our agency. This ain't going to be something you'll see or hear on Ad Age or one of those industry emails or social posts we're pummeled with each day. On this podcast, we're going to zero in on the person versus the professional. That said, we'll try to give you a sense of how that person informs the pro, how each person's journey in life and what they're all about really makes them special as a professional. We hope you'll be surprised, we hope you'll be inspired, and we know you're going to have a few laughs along the way. So let's dig into today's episode. So my name is Ace, and I've been here at Deutsch for about two years now, and I work in our strategy department. Now, is Ace your actual name? No. So it's shortened, or it's like... It's shortened, okay. yeah. Now, what's your real name? So I have a few names that people know me as. Um, my given name in Chinese is Guangxing. Okay. And then when we came to the U.S. So you were born in China? Yeah, I okay. was born in China. And when did you come here? When How I was old? seven. So that's old enough that you remember China. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so not just a little bit, but more than a little bit, probably. Yeah, and it's it's hard because around that time, you know, it's hard to know if it's what you remember or if it's the stories the that stories you're told you're oh, that's told. interesting yeah yeah but i do have a lot of like vivid stories about myself and i i can't distinguish whether they're actually mine or yeah, yeah or the told ones yeah it's, right. it, it it's, feels like i kind of like died and like was reborn when i came to america it was huh. like and where were you born in china in shanghai shanghai okay yeah. so that's the city yeah and but Shanghai back then looks a lot different than Shanghai now. And it's a province. So there's Shanghai, the city, okay. and then there's sort of the province. And my I lived with my grandparents for the first four years of my life or so, sort of out on the outskirts. Like, and where were your parents? My parents were working. Okay. This is um, fairly common. normal, common okay. for sort of kids in, in China to live in an intergenerational household or if their parents go out and work in the city to be taken care of by grandparents. Okay. So your grandparents were, and they were more in the, a little bit more in the country? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember having chickens and oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. And these are maternal or paternal grandparents? Uh, paternal, yeah. So your given name, say that again? Guangxing. Guangxi. Does it have a literal meaning? Yes. It's uh, to bring joy to the world. Oh, God, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a common name? No, it's actually, my parents came up with it. I don't think it's very common, um, but so, my last name is like one of, it's like a Smith, you know, it's, yeah. it's Wong. So Yeah, so very common. Very common. Are there things, um, like you're walking down the street and you suddenly think of China like, oh, like a smell or anything? Yeah, when people spit on the street, unfortunately, that reminds me of China because it's not like a... It's it's not impolite to spit on the street in China. It's like a very cultural thing. Oh, really? Yeah. You're Chinese in terms of your fluency now. Do you un like? Do you speak it? Do you understand it? But don't speak it as well. Like, how does it work? So, I speak at probably an elementary school kid level. Yeah. Um, and I do have an accent. Like whenever I go back to China. Like an American accent. Yeah, people okay. are like, "Where are you from? You're obviously not from here. You look just like us." But <laughs> that's so funny. You sound very different. So I speak with an accent. I can't really um, write Chinese. Mm. Um, and I don't read it very well because it's not a phonetic language. It's not like English where you can kind of just work out apple like ah, 
Ah, right, cool. what the word sounds right. like from the uh, so it's not phonetic. It's character based, so oh, okay. You gotta oh, kind of memorize what a specific thing word looks like as well as how it sounds. So the Chinese is kind of so 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 manageable. What manageable. what what dialect? Uh, Mandarin. So the other names, name name. Oh yeah. So when I came to the U.S., no one can pronounce my Chinese name. At least not the seven-year-olds that, you know, I was hanging out with. And so uh, what my parents did was they essentially picked a name out of a bunch of random names that started with G because Guangxing starts with G if you're spelling it in pinging. Right. And so, you know, I could have been like a Gertrude or a Greta, but I... <laughs> that would have been unfortunate. <laughs> or I, I can't think of many, like, great names that start with G currently, but I ended Gwendolyn. up... Gwendolyn, that's a nice one. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't feel much like a Gwendolyn. No. <laughs> yeah. I ended up with Grace, which is, uh, you know, a, a beautiful name, in my opinion. I just didn't ever really feel graceful. Yeah. Um, or very much like a Grace. Yeah, it's a very pejorative name, isn't it? Like, it comes with a lot of expectations attached yeah. to it versus like a... Like a well, I guess a, Ra a Ralph comes with a expectation, but I like my what name, does a Ralph my, come with? I, like a bowling expectation, oh. <laughs> <laughs> at least in my head. But like Matthew, I don't know if math like my name, Matthew, I don't think it comes with any particular set of expectations. Like, but yeah, Grace does have a kind of it, Demure, it comes with some, yeah, like sensitive and you know, feminine, yeah, yeah. So they pick Grace, and and wh where'd you move? Two when you we moved to upstate New York, so we were in, in Ithaca for a bit. Okay, and what did your parents do? So my dad was a. Uh, we were actually supposed to be in America for about three years, and yeah. then moved back to China. And uh, my dad was on a fellowship. He he's a biochemist, and so he was doing an exchange at Cornell University. Right. Um, that was supposed to be three years, and then we were supposed to go back. But so is he a research professor or a teaching professor or both? Um, currently, he works in China, so okay. um, he's, I don't know his job, but he's the dean of some biochemistry okay. department at a university okay. and runs his lab. And your mom? My mom's currently a, a librarian at that university, but she's had a lot of different lives. Like what? Like what kind of stuff? Well, we, my parents were middle class when we were in China. Yeah. Like my dad was a, a, a science scientist and my mom was an accountant. So when you say middle class in China, does that mean something different than middle class here? Or is it about the same? Oh, jeez. I think, you know, it's hard to speak for currently because I think a lot of things have changed in terms of social structures and yep. class structures as the Chinese have gotten incredibly wealthy yeah. at, uh, over the past few years. But I would say it felt like a pretty normal middle class. Like we we didn't want for anything, right. for example. Like right. I had treats and toys and everything. Yeah. And then when we moved to the U.S., that kind of completely changed. In what way? Um, we were poor. Mm. You know, we were really poor. My my mother didn't speak English, so she couldn't get a job as an accountant. So she was learning English while working as a housekeeper at a hotel yeah. or serving fast food at right. the Chinese restaurant, uh, like minimum wage jobs. And your dad, though, your dad had a... That... Had a really low-paying university okay. fellowship. So you, you know how those things are. Yeah, know? I sort of do. I don't really know that world very well. Yeah. But is that sort of like an associate professor kind of deal or what? 
Um, like a, he uh, was just a researcher. Like okay. he was, they were both sort of at the beginning of their careers. Um, yeah. And, you know, what was astonishing for me was my first job out of college, I was making more than either of them had at the height of their careers in the U.S. Really? Yeah. It was, it was a did little you feel devastating. Did you feel self-conscious about that? Did it feel uncomfortable or was it, like, how did it for that feel? I felt like I had, hmm, that's a really good question. A lot of feelings. Yeah. A lot of feelings came up um, around sort of feeling like I've almost like fulfilled a sense of obligation to my parents. Yeah. To sort of like. Be in a, like be in a better place. Than yeah. Advance. Exactly. Advance beyond their station. That, that's, a, that's not the correct term in this case because your dad's, you know, working at a university for right. Christ's sake, but to, to sort of advance beyond their station. Yeah. And it also, like, I think it really showed me that, yeah, I guess I haven't really... Thought about it that much. I have thought about yeah. it a lot. Okay. Um, I've thought about it in terms of just growing up, right? Like, I felt like I had a great sense of responsibility to my parents. Yeah. Do you have siblings? No, I'm so an only a, child. You're an only child. Okay. Yeah. So you felt... Um, because did you feel, did you, I mean, even though you were a kid and even though, you know, you were a teenager at one point and may have been, you know, like all teenagers, self-absorbed to some degree. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't speak for you. Maybe you weren't, but um, it sounds like you were always conscious of that. Like you had. Yeah, I was conscious of the fact that my parents have given, had given up a lot. Um, yeah. And the fact that we were only supposed to stay for three years, I had convinced them to stay longer in the US and how and and what and so they wanted to go back they wanted to go back the fellowship was only three years long so my dad was out of a job after okay that. And, and you wanted to stay I wanted to stay and you yeah. wanted to stay because I was nine and yeah. you know I had friends and yeah an American education yeah you know and in three years is just long enough to really start to form some bonds yeah and growing up you know I lived with my grandparents and then I lived with my parents for a few years and I, I think had gone up to like five schools at right. that point yeah and i was in like fourth grade or and and you'd been yeah. in that school for whatever three years three years yeah and, uh, and it felt to, like the most stable you started to feel like home right and ithaca a good place to grow up wonderful place to yeah. grow up yeah. it's a cool town have you been there oh yeah. yeah yeah i'm from albany and uh i went to school in syracuse oh yeah so i'm familiar with it you know like we'd go down there for different things and uh i mean it's a great like college town it's intellectually stimulating it's Big enough to be interesting, but small enough to be intimate. I, I, mm -hmm. think it's not, I just think it's cool. Mm -hmm. It's a cool place. Very hilly. Yes. <laughs> um, so you'd say you grew up. So what did your dad do after his fellowship ended then? He was unemployed for a while. Yeah, for a long bit. And so yeah. my, my mother was like working multiple jobs to try and like get our family through. And, you know, I didn't realize just how... Um, just how hard she had it until last November when we went on a trip to Budapest together. Yeah. And she was doing this mental accounting of the first few years that we were in the U.S. And she was, you know, because she used to be an accountant, so she's got a great head for numbers. Yeah. And so she was, like, talking about, like, how much his income was, her income was, rent, utilities. Yeah. And I was, like, doing the math in my head. And I was like, wow, like, you really made a lot out of nothing nothing yeah. yeah and gave you a good and you didn't feel i mean you 
it sounds like you felt when you say you were poor did you feel like you wanted for the basics or more you just didn't have anything extra I think my mother had always strived to provide me with what she thinks she would have in China yeah in the US and so she worked really hard um, multiple jobs and so I I didn't feel like I was you know like I had decent clothes yeah. and you know decent food and toys yeah but what was really missing was sort of like the ability to be there with my family right which you know I saw other families you know they would have free time go to the lake and your mom was always working yeah 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 and did your dad eventually find work yeah yeah and what did he do he moved back to China oh okay yeah okay were they were they in two different countries at one point like, yeah okay and how long was that for it's a few years okay wow so that's stressful yeah. I would imagine. Now I uh, was in college then, so it didn't really make too much of a difference if they were I mean that background, it's a it's a really interesting background. I'm wondering how does that affect your sensibility, I guess, with things like your your work, your job, your money? Yeah, well, I think I've always found it incredibly important to have or I guess when I was growing up, what was taught to me was work is the pinnacle of your life. That was kind of how my father approached work. Right. He was a workaholic. He wasn't making much money, but he was constantly at the lab. And he, you know, that was his thing. So I never really saw him around. And, you know, he taught me that through hard work, you're going to, like, make a great life. And on the other hand, like, what I experienced was kind of the opposite. Like, I, I felt like I wasn't able to have a great life with my family because work was always in the way. Right. Um, and so throughout college, I was sort of, thinking about work as like the the apex of what I would be doing and sort of like the pinnacle of it. And now I kind of approach work as sort of like this is a foundation of, of my life that allows my life to work the way that it or function the way that mm. I want it to. So it's it's work to live rather than live to work. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> sort of, kind of. <laughs> sort of whip that one on you. It popped into my head. So your name, go back. So Grace. Yeah. And then this Grace, so Ace comes out of Grace. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a phonetic thing. You just remove the G, G and the R. And there you go. Yeah. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is Ace, is Ace your, but your legal name, what's your, like, what's your legal name? Like what's on your driver's license? Uh, my, so I was naturalized okay. um, as a U.S. citizen a few years ago. So um grace is actually on my okay. on my documents yeah and then my chinese name became my middle name okay in my documents so that's how you yeah. flipped around I know we spoke a couple of weeks ago. You had some pretty interesting jobs just before this. Which, well, where'd you where'd you come from before this? I was on a crazy road trip uh, for a year and a half before this. Okay, so you weren't working. You were I just... I was kind of working. I okay. mean, All right. I, was, I was making odd odd money here and there. Okay, and the odd. T tell us about some of that oddness. Um, I was working in California on a marijuana farm. Okay. Um, <laughs> and is this in like Mendocino County? This was in, this was in, yeah, close by. Okay, yeah, up close in that by, part yeah. of the 
part of town. Yeah. Which uh, I think is, I don't know, I read, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it's the largest pot growing place in the United States. Now, how'd you end up on that? Friend of a friend, okay. you know, it's like one of those. So kind you're kind of, of traveling around. I was, tra- I was traveling around. I was, before I was traveling around, I was working at Arnold okay. um, in Boston. And for how long were you there for? I was there for about three years. Okay. And, um, what'd, you, and what'd you do there? I was a brand planner. And I realized that I, you know, like as a brand planner, what you're kind of trying to do is extract insights around, around you, about the culture yeah. around you, about the people around you. And this was my first job out of college. And I was, you know, growing up on the East Coast, having gone to college in Boston. And where'd you go to school in Boston? I went to Wellesley. Okay. And I realized that I didn't really have a good understanding of the Midwest or like a whole swath of America. Um, And it was making me kind of miserable to sit at my desk and sort of do secondary research into all of these things that I wanted. I got to explore left of Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Like I need to do some firsthand like experiencing of of this. So you just started traveling around and... Yeah, I quit my job and I was kind of living... And camping and, you know, in my car for about nine months. And we were with other people or? No, I was doing this really, alone. Really alone. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, cruising around. Zooming around. Um, I think at one point I, I I reach out to a friend who lives up in Alaska and I get to go salmon fish with her for a little bit. And that okay. was a lot of fun. To, like on a commercial place? Yeah. She was running her own sort of, she's, she's a female fisherwoman. Okay. And she's been trying to like get a crew of, you know, other fisherwomen together who are also sort of like environmentalists. She has a boat and I I go and live on her boat for about two months. And where's the boat based out of? Sitka. Which is like south. Real south. of. Yeah, it's like one of those little islands. Right. But so the boat's out of there. And have you ever done anything like that before in your life? I've done some fly fishing. Okay. I've done some fly fishing. Yeah, but that's this is different. This, this is, is different. Like, this is like yeah. with nets, right? Uh, it wasn't with nets. It was with uh, trollers. So okay. the, those are, uh, you get a long fishing line yeah. and there's hooks at okay. multiple points on that. Yeah. With nets and stuff, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the yeah. ocean floor, kind of cap- capturing a lot of stuff that is bycatch. It's not the best for the environment, so... Trolling is the best sort of way, way that to... you can salmon fish. Yeah. yeah. So how big an operation was this? Like it was a one man, one man show, one woman show. Really? So yeah. you, so it was basically you and her. Yeah. Wow. And she would just sell to the local sort of processors. And like how like what was a typical catch? Uh, I don't know how I could put them into pounds, but we probably pull up. It de- it really de- you know depended on the weather. Um, the season that I was up there, she was talking about a lot of uh, environmental change happening where uh, the salmon weren't coming as close to shore as they had before. So yeah. we had to go out into the earth or uh, ocean. Ocean. <laughs> part, technically part of the earth, right? Part of the earth. The ocean even further. Yeah. Um, and, you know, bears were having problems feeding. And so there were bears roaming around town. Really? Yeah. And uh, now how big a place is Sitco? Sitka is... Oh, Sitka. Um, Sitco's the gas station. <laughs> Sitka's about, I think, 6,000 or yeah. something. Small? It's a pretty small town. Small yeah, town. not like tiny, tiny, but... And hard work, the salmon fishing? 
hard work, but really fun work. Yeah. Um, it was a very different life. So living on her boat, I didn't have Wi-Fi or right. anything like that. So yeah. it would be a little paddle across the across the lake to the bike. Yeah. And then a bike three miles down to the library. To, to like send an email. To or send something. an email, yeah. Yeah, wow. Or to make a call because I didn't have service either. Right. So you need to really think about what you're going to, you know, sort of plan compress all. Pl- yeah, plan that out. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? Did you read a lot of books? I, I, I read a lot of books, yeah. Yeah. Well, that must have been really fulfilling. Yeah. Was it physically hard work, the salmon fishing? You know, I... I realize that I get sea drowsy. Yeah. It's not like, um, it's not seasick. I don't feel nauseous, but yeah. the sea definitely makes me feel really sleepy. Sleepy, yeah. Um, and so Sometimes I just, you just want to lay down. Probably <laughs> not the best worker. But <laughs> you said it was fun. How yeah, was it was fun. fun. Um, just like being out on the water yeah. and feeling really close to the, you know, I've never been that close to a, a, a piece of meat that right. I've eaten. Yeah. You know? And you can still eat, still love salmon? Still love salmon. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to love there, isn't there? <laughs> so the pot farm, how did that happen? That was also a, a friend, you know, yeah. just saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. They need extra hands. And and how does that work? Is that, and the Mendocino County, that's called, it's, uh, that area is called like the Emerald Triangle or the Green Triangle or something? Yeah, it, it's sort of all over that region, okay. like in the mountains up north. And is this, was this farm... Like an official farm of California's state dispensary system, or is it? You don't have ask another so many questions. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about my employers. Really? Yeah. Like, did you you know who they were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you saw them. I saw them. And who were they? Like, what were they like? They're Miami Bros. You know, I honestly wish that the weed industry wasn't so full of like, honestly, white men. Yeah. Right. Like, it's been a it's it's been something that has like landed a lot of people of color black people hispanic people particularly in jail you know like we've now decriminalized it but the people who are now able to make money are not those who have criminal records right um and so you see a lot of these like you know what's miami bro i'm not even sure snapback tank top okay flip-flops flip-flops kind of ripped a little bit yeah Big blunt, yeah. you know. Huh. So you didn't fill out a W-4 when you started or anything? No. <laughs> should I be talking about this? Maybe I should be talking this. about this. Yeah, why not? Why not? So, so there was no, uh, you didn't meet with like HR. I didn't like set you up the first day. It wasn't anything like that. No, it was, um, here's here's a bag, start, start trimming it. So you just sort of show up. And how did you get paid? Was there like, did you have pay stuff? <laughs> You counted your hours, and you, you counted your bags of weed. And they just, like, reached into, like, a, a bag of cash and gave you some of it? Is that kind of the way it worked? A, l- a little bit. Honest. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> Did you see, like, bundles of cash hanging around? Was it that kind of stuff? Was it that kind of thing? No. Like, no, the big no. rolls of the rubber bands? Like, the movies? Was it that? No bundles, but, like, <laughs> trash bags full of uh, what looks like trash, but is thousands of dollars worth of plant really? matter. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, stunk! Yeah. And what, um, like, what kind of crew did they have there? Like, what kind of people besides you? Like, were there people like you there that, were like, you know, educated? Yeah, you get all sorts of people. All sorts of people. You get a lot of people coming 
honestly, you get a lot of travelers coming from like Spain or Australia or someplace who are just sort of trying to make money on their trips. Yeah. Um, or who do harvest work in like the wine industry. So you get a lot of people who like go do grapes in Napa and kind of come down. Do a little pot. Yeah. Go back up and do some more grapes. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of thing. So migrant workers. Yeah. But uh, wow. It's a different, different swath of America. And where do you live when you're there? Do you still, you're still like living in your car? or? or I, I was living in a van. Okay. Yeah. As you were doing this, did you feel like you were associating with a really uh, dangerous criminal element? Or did it just seem like kind of sketchy but fine? I mean, what, how did you sort of... It didn't feel criminal at all. I mean, I've... I, I feel like we should like cut that to like just a short thing and maybe not like go into it. So <laughs> Come much. on, this is interesting. Come on, Dace. You know this is interesting. This is what people want to hear. They yeah. want to hear about you Hold working on, wait. on the podcast. I feel one. like we should talk more about like the good parts of me, like how I'm like a really like caring, obedient child <laughs> and uh, how I love my parents. Yeah, and... that's good. That's good stuff. But you yeah. know, after that people want to hear pot the pot stuff. <laughs> Come on, you gotta give the people what they want. So like when you saw, like how much weed was getting carried out of this place? Like, did you see like just truckloads of bales? Like, um, you would just see pull like really scary from a criminal standpoint. <laughs> no, 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 not yeah. like that. Yeah. What you really need to do is just sort of keep your head down and like, oh, there's a there's a car pulling up. I'm not gonna pay, pay attention, attention to, that. to it. Yeah, you, you just know, kinda kind look, of look. You just kind of look the other way. Yeah, yeah, which is maybe not a good trait. But yeah. And how long were you there for? Just for a few months. Okay. Yeah, like two or three. And when was like enough enough of that? Or did you just like say, okay. I just okay, made enough money. Yeah, okay. And then went down to Patagonia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how's the money on that? Like, how, Was it like more like minimum wage kind of thing or, uh, or a little if better? You worked, if you worked hard, you could probably make about like maybe like 400 bucks a day. Okay. So you got pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Speedy ace and work in the fields. <laughs> uh, that's something I would have liked to have seen. Uh, so, and then you went to Patagonia. Or actually, I... How'd you get down to Patagonia? I flew down. Okay, I was going to say yeah. you drive down. No. You can drive down. It's yeah, po- it's that'd possible. be a long drive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that experience was... Amazing. Yeah. Just hiked around. Just hiked around. Yeah. yeah. I really do like to enjoy life. Yeah. And realizing, like... Well, why not? Why not? It's there to enjoy. I know. <laughs> we need more than three weeks vacation, guys. So Patagonia. And where else? Anything anywhere else on the travels that were like really? It was so much, right? Like it was like all of U.S. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, not all of U.S. I shouldn't say that. There were many, many states that yeah. I didn't head through. But yeah. nine months of traveling around the U.S. and then down to south america yeah. spent a bit of time in bogota colombia okay and, then... and what was bogota like oh i love it yeah i don't want to talk about it because i don't want to i don't want other people to go oh go yeah there you know it's, it's fun- like it's changing so dramatically i've heard that we were in ecuador three years ago mm-hmm. and my son was uh living there and he was saying oh i want to go to colombia and i'm like really and he had heard the same thing. It's just, it's really changing. And I think the government really wants it to change yeah. too because it's got that reputation that they're just trying to get rid of. It's know? gotten really hip. It's yeah. like, in like 2008, it was like Iceland and yeah. then it became Peru. Right. And now it's like Mexico City. Yeah. 
I'm sure it's going to be Colombia at some point or another yeah. soon. Now, were there parts of the United States, was there any United States that you were kind of indifferent toward going to or even like had a something in your head like, oh, this isn't going to be that interesting and it just kind of blew you away? Was there any? Did you have that I kind of... Like, I was excited about everywhere. Everywhere you went, Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Ace and 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 just your sexuality and how how, how do you identify yourself? Uh, <laughs> there's so many words, right? Okay, um, let's hear them. But uh, I would call myself a queer. <laughs> a queer. I would call myself a queer. <laughs> okay. And. So it's funny because I was going to... I, I paused because I could have gone on, but I think the word queer is pretty encompassing. Okay, so speak about why it's encompassing. And, and if you want, speak about what you would have gone on to. Um, I, you know, I word think wise. As, a, as a word, it's been one of those words that in the past has been pretty derogatory yeah. and has been reclaimed by the community as almost like a term that is inclusive of many types of sexual identities and gender identities right. that um, are so there, there's so many multitudes of sort of ways in which one is that yeah. having an umbrella term feels important as well as having specific language to talk about what exactly you are. So if I were to have gone a little bit deeper, I yeah. would have described myself as uh, gender nonconforming, pansexual and polyamorous. And polyamorous is... Multiple loves. Right. I'm doing. I'm doing the the um, um, the root words in my head. Right. Yeah. Took me a second there. <laughs> I got. I got there actually before you did, but brain was processing a little bits. So it's interesting the way you just define the word queer. I never really thought about it that way. I mean, it all the math made perfect sense. It's been sort of this derogatory term, but then when you talked about it serving as sort of a place where a lot of different people can kind of live or you know identify that word i never really thought about it that way before it's a really interesting sort of and it was so you put it so simply too mm -hmm. i just like got it right away like the math was really easy because it's inter and it's interesting you put it that way because as you know personally as i've always looked at that term lgbtq i always had the, the q always felt like well how is that not somewhat redundant th with some of the other things? Like, I just always have, like, why do you need that Q on there? Because there's so much, yeah. you can just add so many letters beyond LGBT. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and you watch these, like, kids on YouTube these days yeah. who are, like, queer Gen Zers, and they're, like, talking about all these terms and sort of, like, describing themselves, and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm really glad that we are able to, like, start to develop language beyond queer as well yeah, yeah yeah so it's a term it sounds like you're very very comfortable with yeah you know as you think about about that i mean once you've come into your own with that and when did you kind of come into your own with that it was multiple stages yeah. i would say um i think i first realized that i was um that i wasn't straight yeah and then I think a few years passed and then I realized that I didn't fully identify as a woman or a female, like a lady or a girl. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's constantly kind of an evolving thing for me. Um, as I sort of explore myself further, I find new sort of things about myself. You know, as you come into that uh, as your own and, you know, you start understanding, um, and it sounds like it's still a process from what you said, like understanding who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think our labels, any labels are ever really stagnant. Right? Yeah. Like, for example, like it doesn't have to necessarily about have to be about our sexuality but like think about the other labels that i assign for myself they what i would have called myself 10 years ago like feels outdated now like what would you have called yourself 10 years ago? i was i was like an emo kid 10 years okay ago. right you know <laughs> right so that's that and i i think of that as more of a lifestyle kind of thing uh-huh but i don't know if that's how you would define it i i guess i think that people have the ability to to more change, change and morph, morph yeah yeah I don't yeah. think it's all set in stone. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, and you said something really interesting to me, which was um, finding your way in the world, and who do you sort of look to as a role model? Like me, as a heterosexual man, you have a lot of sort of references in the world. Of, this is sort of a way, this is how sort of life moves forward to, with you. You go from X, then you go to Y, then you go to Z. Right. There's almost like a script, a script. that like yeah. you can replicate from Hollywood movies to books to, you know, just you kind of look to pop culture and pop culture tells you like relationships are meant to be looking like this. Right. And this is how you have a family and this is how, you know, you live your life. Yeah. And as someone who doesn't necessarily see themselves as, you know, or picture themselves as, as that, like yeah. it, it can be hard to, it takes a lot of moments of pause to sort of think about like what I actually want versus just sort of falling into these scripts that have been laid out for me. Right. Because those scripts don't necessarily apply to you. Is that fair or not? Um. Yeah. Like, for example, like I... I don't really see myself like having a nuclear family in mm-hmm. the future mm-hmm. um, in terms of like a traditional like two parent household, two kids, one kid, whatever, something like yeah. that. And luckily, like I grew up in Ithaca where there's like quite a lot of hippies and yeah. there's like the eco village. <laughs> it is. It's <laughs> such a hippie town. <laughs> and you see like communal living situations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, growing up in a household where my parents weren't around too much, I relied a lot on the community around me from right. my teachers to, you know, random members of the community who would just invite me over for dinner or, yeah. you know, kids, parents. And so I also, you know, Ithaca being such a hippie place, yeah. you know, there's like eco villages and communes and, right. you know, various things like that. And so I think I definitely as a kid was influenced um buy a lot of that and like was able to see alternative ways of living beyond what was you know the norm right um or what was kind of has become right like seen as like the only way in some senses so you were able to say at some level to yourself like oh there's there's there are different ways maybe there's even lots of different ways yeah like if you think about it like we, we've adopted a lot of like Eurocentric values and sort of ways of life. Um, mm-hmm. And that has spread across the world. But there are other cultures and, and many sort of folks who, who don't 
live like the nuclear family, mm. like where family structures are different. I, and I, I know that the nuclear family is like a really important structure to some people and can provide a lot of stability, a lot of like sort of love um, and is important, but I, I don't think that it's the only way. It's so interesting, uh, you know, culturally and how much we pick up in terms, like things that are, and this is a small example. I remember when we had kids, I had a buddy of mine, and the whole thing was about how long does a baby stay in the bed with you and, you know, when they were in their own crib and all this kind of stuff. And a buddy of mine said, well, you know, we're like one of the only cultures in the world where the baby isn't in the bed all the time. Yeah. Like that we kick them out. I remember a little light bulb went out in my head and go, oh, wow, you know what? There's just a lot of different ways to get to the same point. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like you're sort of on this journey where you're kind of figuring it out. Yeah. And, I would uh, say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you say that with such a smile, too. Yeah, it's been kind of a fun journey. Yeah. I mean, you just lit up Yeah. when I said that. And, and I'm sure, you know, it, it, like anyone else, you have struggles. I think one of the things that is interesting to me is how do you feel other people struggle with it? With me? Yeah, with you. Uh, and I don't mean you personally. <laughs> Ace, you're so goddamn difficult. <laughs> No, but I mean, you know, for instance, around here, um, you know, the pronoun they, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that's your, 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 your preferred. Prefer, preferred, yeah. And I feel like despite my best intentions, I just like slip or just don't think about it or whatever. And, you know, I mean, how does that feel to you when people do that? I mean, I, mean, I definitely think that there's like some, uh, education and like practice that comes with it and there's definitely like a generational thing right like a a lot of younger people definitely don't struggle with it as much as i see like folks my parents age yeah um who you know just folks like me (laughs) (laughs) you you do fine yeah but it's 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 I, i find myself thinking about it a lot actually um, but I think and that's, that's a good thing, I, yeah. Because what it does is it brings into sort of awareness and visibility the fact that there are more than two genders. Like the the fact that you're forced to think about it is is sort of brings it out of the invisibility, yeah, of everyday life. Because so many people who are gender nonconforming can sometimes feel quite invisible, yeah. Um, and so, or like very visible and yeah. like too visible too visible but, and i think that the more and more i'm sort of feeling at ease with myself yeah um you know like it felt really important in college uh that i emailed my professors at the beginning of the semester to tell them my gender pronouns mm-hmm. and for that to be respected across the board like i i think i was a little bit more like policing of mm-hmm. people in terms of the the way that they describe me and the words that they used and as i've kind of become more comfortable with myself i i don't need that validation as much right because you others. know who you are yeah not to say it's not important to kind of yeah. respect people's gender pronouns but right. i think what what feels more important to me is not kind of saying the right things at the right time, but doing a little bit of education around maybe like 
reading a little bit about gender pronouns, reading a little bit about, you know, people who identify as non-binary or mm. gender non-conforming, like understanding a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, time because I think everybody's trying to figure, I mean, you're trying to figure it out. People mm-hmm. like me are trying to figure it out. But if people have the right spirit and the right intentions, you know, even though we may stumble a little bit, Mm-hmm. It'll 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 work out eventually, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I think it. as long as everyone sort of like does not impose their rules right upon anyone else, right. And that's kind of what I realized I was doing. I was like kind of imposing this like you must use. A yeah, policing is an interesting word, me. right? Um, but conversely, someone like me could be policing too, right? Yeah, and saying no, I'm not going to do that. But but as long as neither party is policing, maybe we're, you know, moving toward a better place. Yeah, I think I've, like, found myself, like, thinking more about my own boundaries more than I've been thinking about sort of the rules or, like, things that I want someone else to do. So, yeah. like, for example, like, if someone is, like, actively not respecting my pronouns, here's what I'm going to do, mm. right, rather than they need to do something. Mm. So... It sounds like you're also, just as you move through the world, you're maybe, as a whole, maybe even thinking about it less. Is that that fair? Yeah, I'm less conscious of it until someone goes, hey, ladies, or like, you know. And then it snaps into focus. And then it's like, whoa, like, oh, are you, you know, are you referencing me as well? Yeah. I don't. Are you religious or spiritual at all? Were you, ra- um, were you raised in religion or? I was not raised religious. Yeah. Uh, my mom is like superstitious, okay. which I think <laughs> is the closest that I am okay. to religion too, yeah. is yeah. like, I'm superstitious. Okay. And how does that manifest itself? Oh, it, it, in her or in me? Um, you. You know, I, I believe the like woozy, like tarot card readings and like astrology. I, I shouldn't call them woozy because there is quite a lot of like, yeah, 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 you know, s- stuff around it. But um, I would call myself like, I guess, spiritual. But um, my mom's superstition really comes through in terms of like um, old Chinese like fairy tales yeah. um, and stories and stuff oh, like interesting. that. So. You know, she'll call me randomly and she'll be like, you, you should you should buy a lot of red underwear this year. You have to wear red. It's good year. <laughs> <laughs> so just like completely off the wall stuff. Yeah, like, off the right. wall stuff. Like Right. You need to eat more yellow peppers. <laughs> yeah, like you should move your like and it's it's not all like superstition because, you know, she's also into feng shui and stuff. But yeah. she'll, she'll like call me and be like, you should move your bed so yeah. that the head is not facing this way and, right you know like did you practice that Mm-mm. no we've dabbled in it in our house it's always interesting but then sometimes just practically it's like uh, you know what i'm not moving that around yeah <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get the energy forces will change but i just have nowhere else to put that <laughs> Things from your life, uh, the immigration, your sexuality, just the experiences working on the pot farm, the salmon farm, those things inform who you are. How does it sort of inform 
what you bring to the workplace? Like, how do you feel it, it influences how you approach your job each day? You know, I think it in, in many different ways. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think that as advertisers, a lot of us started out in a fairly good spot in our lives, yeah. right? Like a lot of us are college educated. Yeah. A lot of us are mostly white collar workers yeah. who haven't really had to, you know, lift a hammer or, right. or, or do a lot of other stuff. And Pull so, a fishing line with 10,000 hooks on it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you, you start to realize just the vast diversity of modern lives. And I think that's kind of an important thing for uh, people working with telling stories about culture and informing culture to understand because right. we have so much power and so much like such a huge platform to be talking about things that um you know i talked about the fact that like i don't really necessarily have a lot of role models versus you know you i you know and luckily over the past just i, I would say just the past like two years have i really started to see a lot of like asian american mm people on TV. Um, and, you know, growing up, I didn't realize that I could even be an author. Like I wanted to be a writer, but the only writer who was Chinese that I ever read was Amy Tan. I was just going to say Joy Amy Luck Tan. Club. Yeah. That was the only book, you know, throughout my K through 12 education that, it, you know, I had, I read a book that was written that was like an experience that I could relate to and understand. And because you couldn't really do that with a Chinese, I mean, obviously there's, there's gotta be tons of Chinese authors, but that's not your cultural reference point. Right. So I think, you know, having a good understanding of, of the diversity of, of lives and being able to paint the picture of that and yeah. show some representation where people have largely been, you know, not represented. Yeah. It's kind of a, a, a great thing. I think my desire to live out in the world also kind of impacts the way that I approach digital strategy yeah. in many ways. Like, I think that if you're working in technology and you're not conflicted about the work that you're doing, you're probably not thinking hard enough. You know, it's a powerful thing to, to be building new things and working on, on, on web stuff. And, you know, I'm seeing things like, uh, recently I was on vacation in uh, Colorado and I was like, I, I was looking at an Aspen tree and I was crying and it was like so beautiful to mm. me. And I was thinking about like how we've kind of replaced that with like VR headsets and like even ASMR. We're so hungry for sensory experiences. And these like, we're now turning to these artificial YouTube videos to sort of like gain that, that like, I, I, as a sort of a digital strategist, feel kind of, I have a lot of emotions around like the digital world and sort of the importance of the physical one and, and how do we create digital realities that don't replicate the same inequalities in, so, in our physical world, as well as how do we create this reality in a way that doesn't sort of strip away our enjoyment of of our tangible mm. environment around us. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Really is really lovely. Um, you know, it's interesting as I hear about like VR stuff. I, cynically, I always say, "Oh, please, I got enough reality in my life. I don't need any virtual reality." Mm -hmm. But, uh, but part in, in that is kind of like your aspen tree, which is there's a beauty to reality that you shouldn't be ignoring. Right. And there are things that are 
truly beautiful, like the aspen tree, or just, you know, someone's lovely tone of voice in a restaurant, you know, um, there's just those things are across all our lives, you know, across every aspect of our life. And I just it, it worries me that we're as a society sort of turning away from that stuff. I agree. Um, well, listen, thank you so much. This has been fun. I hope you had fun. I yeah. hope you weren't, you weren't nervous. No, I had fun. I feel like I um, I feel like I would have been better had this been coffee. <laughs> I would have gotten you coffee. <laughs> no, it's okay. You should have asked for it. No, I, I had a, I had a ton of fun. Yeah. Okay, but thank you so much, Ace. Really, this yeah. has been good. I hope I didn't make it. I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable. No, no, not at all. And, and I told you when I was like, yeah, not that, and I'm glad around. you did. And that was fine. Like, yeah. That's perfectly fine. All right. Well, listen. Thanks, and we'll see you. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Digging Into Deutsch is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Matthew George, with additional editing from Daniela Morrison and Vonda Lepage. Technical assistance is provided by Trip McCune, Evelyn Martinez, and Jeff Morgan. Also, thanks to Chris Catone, Rondel Meeks, Val DeFebo, and especially my old pal Barbara Chandler for their concept and editorial inputs. Thanks for listening, and until next time, we'll just keep on digging. you get like good stuff yeah is there anything is there anything else you want to talk about is there anything you went very different in a very different direction than i kind of expected yeah i think i like expected it to be a little bit more like you asked hard questions dude oh really yeah well you want to challenge people a little bit yeah you gave good answers you really did i was expecting to talk about like how i got into advertising oh no 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 this is like like really personal yeah yeah but how did you get into advertising uh i think i've always been interested in like communication and persuasion like i persuaded my parents to let me stay in the u.s yeah there you go (laughs) started early right and effective Um, it worked and i was um always like enamored by stories um and like you know i remember my first all-nighter was just reading the harry potter books um but so i i went to wellesley college and uh studied peace and justice studies and psychology and was really interested in sort of persuasion and rhetoric and how do you shift people's attitudes background for this etc and kind of fell into advertising after doing a bunch of like um community organizing work with like organizations that had a lot of great things around like environmental issues and would kind of be talking with the same talking points. Um, and I was like, wow, we, I would love to, you know, like learn how to effectively communicate and got an internship in advertising and kind of didn't leave yet <laughs> yeah still in it still in it yeah still in it. what was your first job in advertising was um, it arnold it was arnold yeah. yeah and was it like a junior brand planner kind of thing mm-hmm. wow because there aren't too many junior plant brand planner roles around really no i was know? an intern yeah. um because i was kind of i was doing an independent study okay. around the power of narratives yeah um and so being a brand planning intern you you deal a lot with insights and narratives yeah. and sort of framing um and was offered a job from that hmm. internship. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And then you parlayed that into a year of travel, and now you're back. And now, now I'm you're back. back. Now you're yeah. back.
A little audio asterisk here. The views presented in this podcast are those of the individuals recorded on the interview and not those of Deutsch Inc. So, now you know that.